Amen. Woohoo! Oh. Thank you, team. That was really cool. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Mel, and um, I'm always emotional when I'm up here. So just don't worry about these tears. They don't. They don't mean much. It's well, they do, but they just. Um, expressive really I'm a very expressive person um, and yeah sorry I'm what just oh very funny yeah haha <laughs> okay he knows me too well it's all right I'm gonna get him back later <laughs> um, no it's really cool um, if you're new with us uh, welcome um, uh, I'm not biased but maybe a little but you are in the company of very rich people and um, I can't tell you how privileged I, I feel to be a part of this community and how much I learn from all of you. And it's through the simplest ways, uh, through conversation or hearing the prayer of somebody. It's, um, I honestly feel like I'm the richest person in the world because of who I have around me. And... Um, it's, it's all of you in this community. And, um, yeah, the love he has for his body, um, I, I value more than I ever have. Um, so, anyway, thank you uh, for being here. And um, um, I'm happy to be here. And, I, you know, I want you guys to know that I never find this um, task, uh, I don't take it lightly, um, it's a it's an absolutely a, a privileged position to to be able to speak his word. But I don't ever feel I'm up here to teach. Um, it's purely to encourage, and that's just something that's easy for me to do because I can see so clearly what he's doing. And um, so th- that's what I'm doing. And at the same time, you know, I I don't take his word lightly um, because I know I'm accountable to every word I say. And that it's, it is tested in his pure sunlight of his holiness. And um, I'm very aware of that. So anyway, I've, like I said, I've been praying for his word um, and asking him, how can I serve her through your word this morning? And um, I believe that this is the response um, to that question. So um, I'm just going to start off. Whose kids have um, been taking part of the Kids on Tour at the Rock? Put, put your hand up, right up. Cool. Anyone else? Yep. Stuart's. Anyone else? No? Okay. okay. Yes. Cool. Dean in the back there. Um, if you don't know what this is, it's a cool evening uh, where the, the youth of the Rock um, are going to different homes, and the homes are their parents' homes and their friends' parents' homes, and it's um, they go there and the parents share their testimony. It's very cool, and um, I'll I'll tell you what I love about this idea. Um, and this initiative is, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about the greatest commandments and that the Lord spoke through Moses about what he desires of his people. And ultimately, he desires a people of the commandments, which is to love him with their whole heart, 
their soul, their mind, and their strength. And it starts off saying, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land to which you are crossing over to possess. The land to which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, commandments, which I commanded you. For centuries, there's been a, there is a Jewish tradition called Shema. And this is a daily prayer that is contained in the verses of Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, which is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. But it starts off saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them, listen to this, diligently to your sons. And you shall talk talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them up as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Shema contains the fundamental truth of Israel's religion. So everything that Israel believes is built on the foundation of the verses 4 to 9, which is love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength. Does that make sense? Okay. Shemaita, that word, where that comes from, means it's an underlying pattern, structure, a conceptual framework. A shema provides, listen to this, the basis by which someone relates to the events he or she has experienced. So their belief has actually been established through what they've experienced. Checking with me? Okay. I find this interesting. Deuteronomy 6 goes on to say this. When your son asks you in time, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord has commanded you, okay, to the parents, which the Lord has commanded you, what is the meaning of all of this? You shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. The main point I'm hoping we can hear this morning is that our faith is established on his faithfulness. Our faith doesn't come out of nowhere. It is not something we can conjure or make up. But it is literally a response from him revealing himself. And the thing that makes truth an absolute belief or conviction is that the word is tested through experience. Does this make sense? Okay. Our faith, our belief is built on the experiences of his faithfulness to us. 
And this is what I love about our youth going on tour, is that one day our children are going to ask us, whether you have children now or later, if anyone asks us, what is the point of why we're doing what we're doing? What is the point of testimonies? What is the point of coming together and gathering on a Sunday? What is the point of discipleship group? May we never find ourselves saying, this is what we do because we've always done it. But that we would actually have the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness, that we've experienced it through our lives, that we have an ongoing testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness, that our children would be raised up on the, the, the conviction that the Lord is faithful to their parents and he will be the same to them. Because that is something that cannot be taken away. And I pray that we would be people that are able to share his goodness because of what we've experienced with him through every day, our sitting down, our standing up, along the wayside, that we would have reminders amongst us hanging on our doorposts of his goodness and his faithfulness. The land which he brought us into operates with the currency of faith. It leaves the land of unbelief and it brings us into the land of faith, the land of confidence, the land of conviction. We leave the the land of unbelief which is bondage and we come into the land of faith which is freedom. To be a people of the commandments, people that love the Lord with their heart, soul and strength will be people of faith. It's a journey that begins with faith and results in love. It's a transformation that begins with faith and results in love. We don't start with loving God. We actually don't start with loving God. We are in opposition to him. Our nature naturally is in opposition to who he is. So we don't start with loving him or even knowing him. But we start with faith. And we step out and we trust him. And the more he reveals himself to us, the more our faith grows, it is established, and it turns into love. In Ephesians 3.16, it says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he comes through faith and he dwells in our hearts. That you, listen to this, then being rooted and grounded in love. Faith. Then you are rooted and established in love. That then you can comprehend. And it's not understand intellectually. You can comprehend through experience the height, the width, and the depth of his love. And to know this love which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, incredible. You see, I've come to learn what grabs his attention. It's being in the posture of fear and reverence for him where I've come and I've made myself fully aware of who 
he is um, and who I am before. And without a word, I'll ask him to reveal himself to me as he actually is. In his faithfulness, by his own richness and glory, by faith he grants himself to me. By his own richness and by his own glory, he grants himself to me. And he enters in and he settles in. And as faith activates and established through the experience of his faithfulness, then we begin to be convinced and start to comprehend his love and its fullness. The more we are convinced of his faithfulness, the more we comprehend his love for us. And the more confident our faith becomes. Where it is established and built up, and then we begin to love him. And then this vessel, your vessels, the vessels in front of me, we come into the fullness of God. It's stunning. Faith is an inward confidence, an assurance, trust, and reliance on God and all that he says. And remember that faith comes from hearing. The fact is that until a person humbles himself, we can never receive the grace of God, which is a gift, and that he gives to those who are humble and of a contrite nature. Isaiah testified of this by writing, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one that the Lord got his attention on. Is he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word trembles at my word because they understand that my word is all-powerful and it has all the power to become what I said. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. May we all be in a position of humility with a heart of reverence towards the Lord that we may here because that's where our faith comes from is when we hear him the fear of the lord is the instruction for wisdom and before honor comes humility remember the lord said to to moses hear o israel hear the land you are crossing over and into remember to fear the lord and keep his commandments Moses was a man who grabbed God's attention. It says he was the most humble man on the earth. The beauty of this exchange I find with Moses and when the Lord revealed to him, um, revealed himself to him um, through the burning bush is how, is how the burning bush grabbed Moses' attention. It was very strange that this bush was on fire, and that it did not spread or it wasn't consumed. Um, and listen to what Moses says. He says, I will now turn aside and I will see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. See, Moses had something where the Lord was revealing himself to Moses and he was intrigued. And he thought, I'm going to turn aside and now I'm going to seek out what is going on here. I love this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, he then called from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. This is so key. It is so key. 
When the Lord reveals himself, oh, I pray we recognize it's him. Because when he's revealing himself, he's asking for your attention. And if we would turn ourselves to look at him and seek him out, he will speak to us. He will absolutely speak to us and it will change everything. Moses said, here I am. Hebrews says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Goes on to say that um, the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the ground on which you are now standing is holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. Again, listen to Moses and his response to the Lord revealing himself. Moses heard the voice. He fell to his knees. It's that reverence and that the Lord is in my presence. He fell to his knees and he was afraid to look at the bush because he knew it was the Lord. When the Lord reveals himself, if we recognize him and if we recognize him and how we receive him in that moment will determine how we respond to him. If we recognize him and we receive him, it will determine how we respond to him. And I'm going to unpack that more. As we know from Moses, as we know from here, Moses began his journey of faith. The way in which his faith was established by the faithfulness of God was through the wilderness experience of leading God's people. The Lord gave him the word to go and speak to Pharaoh. Do you remember the story? Uh, and to release the people. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord schools him, and I love it. He says, and, and I guess it's more the heart of why he schools Moses, is because you don't believe me. You don't believe what I'm saying. It's not about what you can do or you can't do, but it's who's asking you to do what you're doing, Right? Because he is asking Moses, by revealing who he is, he's asking Moses to trust him. And that's what faith is, is to trust the Lord because he is good and he stands on his word. So the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say and I will go with you, because I am who I am. I am who I am. It is so self-aware, isn't it? The confidence and the the all-knowing, all-powerful, I am who I am. See, faith that is in God, when we have faith in him, a faith that speaks, as Moses was asked, is first a faith that seeks. 
because the Lord's attention is on those who will hear, receive instruction, and do. I am who I am. It's known in the ancient and Eastern method of regarding names is much more than distinguishing labels. They are a summary description of things by their prominent characteristics. They are condensed definitions. And so an example in the Old Testament, when they use the expression of the name of God, it's equivalent to that which God, listen, manifests himself to be. Okay, so there's more than a name. A name is more than a name. It's not just a label, but it is actually the characteristics of the person in a definition of a name. Make sense? So I've got an example, um, personal example, um, is Shiloh. Before she was born, um, we were praying and asking the Lord for a name, and um, the word, the name Shiloh, um, really spoke to me about the presence of the Lord um, and, um, you know, being a gift from the Lord himself. And Isla, which is a light bearer. And one day I just heard, put the names together, Shiloh. So the whole, the whole, the whole thing of Shiloh that I wanted her to know, and her second name, Vine, means from John 15, remain in me and I'll remain in you, the oneness which creates what? Joy. Okay, the grapes crushed turns to wine. Wine is a representative wine, um, joy. (laughs) So um, her whole name is about being one with the Lord, abiding in him. That is her purpose for the rest of her life. She will do things along the way. She will have tasks, but her purpose in life is to abide in the one who loves her. And through that, joy will come out from her. Um, anyway, so her name is Shia Levine. It was only a, f- a few weeks ago I was reading in the Word, and it was talking about joy, and it was saying it's spinning with intensity. And I thought, hmm, I don't know anyone who spins more than my child with intensity. Okay, so my point is it's the characteristics of a person, right? And when we hear from him, we're not just hearing a word. We're hearing the substance of the Lord, the very character of himself, the nature, the essence of his being has come with his word. So we cannot separate the word from the person. It is one in itself, When we hear from him and receive instruction, he imparts himself, his very essence he gives to us. And faith gives us an insight into his being. When we go through the experience of the word being fulfilled, we come to learn who he is and through it. Can we hear more and more that the word and the person aren't separate but the same? He is the source and the grounds of our faith and our being. By responding in our hearts to him and expressing it through our works, it shows our confidence in him. When he reveals himself, if we recognize him and how we receive him, it will determine everything and what we believe and how we live in response to him. It talks about Abel in Hebrews, and it says that Abel gave a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now, it doesn't go into too much detail of why, but I'm coming to believe that, you know, for Abel, it was by faith 
that he gave the sacrifice that was better than Cain. And it was what he believed more than what he brought. It's actually what he believed about the one he was sacrificing to than what he was giving. And this is what God took notice of. And we still hear about Abel because it approved him as righteous. In Jude's epistle, in verse 11, it says, they have, they have taken the way of Cain, referring to lawless men. This may mean that Cain disobediently, listen to this, devised their own ways of worship. So it's not that he didn't worship. It's that he worshipped in his own way, in a way that in his eyes he thought was right but not in the Lord's eyes. And the results of the Lord rejecting that sacrifice was he killed his brother. The fruit of what he believed was death. This is my point about how we receive him will determine how we respond to him. Because if it's truth revealing truth as he is, and the way he reveals himself, we receive it, we will respond to truth as he is. If it's our way in receiving truth, it will be our truth that we respond to. And I'm going to unpack that more. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, when we have tasted his grace, we are gracious. When we have tasted his generosity, we are generous. If we haven't come to know him as a merciful God, we will not extend mercy. If we don't know his forgiveness, we will not be forgiving people. If we haven't received his hope, we are hopeless. If we haven't received his goodness, we will not be good to others. Because we can't receive from him and not have, and not be able to give. It, when we receive from him, we can give from him, right? If we have only taken a sip of his life, we will live lives that reflect a sip, okay? If we drink deeply of the Lord, we will reflect the deep waters of Christ, how we have come to know him who sits on the throne of our hearts will absolutely influence and affect our lives. Abel and Cain are representations of two responses to truth. Okay? Two responses to truth. The way in which they worshipped the Lord, one by faith was in response to who he actually is, and one of unbelief in who he is not. His way will lead to his truth, and our way will lead to our truth. Okay? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So my question that I've been asking myself is, in what way did I come to know truth? What way did I receive the word? Was it through the Lord manifesting his character because we know that the word and the words aren't separated. Because if we have found truth, we have the life. 
and we will know the way. If we, if we have the way, we have his process. And this is what I want to make really, really clear, is that this is what experience is good for. It's the process that reveals truth of who he is, and it reveals the truth of who we believe him to be through experiences. It will expose belief and unbelief, which could result in being made faithful or found unfaithful. It could be the opportunity to come into a deeper knowing of him, or it could have the effect for us to turn away from him. By the end of it, only the fruit, the life of the way and the truth, will result, and the result, the process will prove genuine who we believe him to be, or who he actually is. So through the process, through the experience of his word being fulfilled, his word becoming flesh, as we receive it by faith and it percolates and becomes, through the experience it will prove it's genuine. It will prove his faithfulness, and at the same time it will expose whether there is belief or unbelief for whether he actually is or who we believe him to be that is not. It will test our faith and prove his faithfulness. By the way will lead us, sorry, but the way will lead us to the truth. Okay, again, the way, the truth, and life cannot be separated. What method is most reliable to come to a conclusion on anything in life? Right? What's, what's the best method? Just throw out something. Experience. Great. The strongest, the strongest tests are experimental. Any psychologist, scientist, whoever will tell you this, that to, to come to a conclusion, the strongest test is experimental. Okay? Um, it's putting it to the test because it, it will bring what the conclusion is, and it will refute what is untrue. Is this method new? No, there's nothing new under the sun. King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, has anyone spent time in that book? Oh, goodness, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, And it can be a little bit like, hmm, like a bit depressing, because you think, well, what is the point of life? Because everything's vanity, everything's wasted, everything's, you know, everything's gone. Um, but the, you know, the beauty of that book is, you know, King Solomon was the wisest man, wasn't he? He's known as being the wisest man. But what, what I love about the conclusion that he draws from everything he experienced and observed in life, right? He talks about death, life, pleasure, wisdom, knowledge, blessings. I mean, he goes through everything that we go through in life. And what he says is the conclusion of life is this, Man's all is to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. This is man's duty. Okay, but how did he come to this conclusion? It was through observing and the experience of life. 
Because what makes truth, truth? What makes truth different from speculation, opinions, good ideas, right? Solomon says, you know, enjoy life and the things which God has blessed you with, remembering that God will judge you for the way this is done. For every true believer of Christ, I believe we must be on the quest for the way, the truth, and the life. To say we have truth yet don't demonstrate the life of truth, I would question the way we received truth. Because let me unpack what I think the life of truth can look like. Life of truth is one that is steadfast, it's certain, restful, faithful, enduring, loving, gracious, disciplined, submitted, purposeful, hopeful, joyful, gentle, um, piercing, confronting, and truthful, to say in the least. The Lord revealed to me his love and faithfulness towards us as his people through his word. And he revealed this through Christ's life. And he took me on this journey of watching, you know, through the word, how Christ, being faithful to his father, was faithful to us. Um, How he fulfilled prophecy beautifully, thoroughly, and faithfully through a sequence of events without a hint of doubt, double-mindedness, maybe, or uncertainty. When Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and it says a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. But within the same breath of reading that verse, we hear how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Just after he was baptized and his father spoke on high, gave him the word, he received it, the beloved son, he was now taken into the wilderness to put the word to the test, to reveal the father as faithful and the faith of Christ because of his response to the enemy, right? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? I love this. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We have no spiritual life if we are not receiving the word of the Lord from on high. And it will not become life if, we, if, it, puts, if it is put through the test. How we received it will be proved genuine. So I just want to make the you know the point that the very word the Father said was tested and ordained by the Spirit. It was allowed. It was permitted. For the very point that the word would be made truth and a conviction. What if Jesus' faith was not established by the faithfulness of his Father? It would be terrifying to think that if Christ approached approach the cross as I think this is the will of God. I think this is what my father said. What if, what if he didn't say this? What if I'm laying my life down? What, you know, like, can, can we imagine, like, if he was uncertain and wavering about the word of the father? 
like where would we be, right? The effect on us, like where would we be? And what if he walked on the earth unsure about the promise of sitting at his father's right hand, you know, being made king and high priest? What if he wasn't really sure? What would that look like? And, and what would we think about living for a God who's sort of a little bit like, hmm, maybe uncertain, not really sure. But, you know, thank our precious Lord Jesus that he is confident, certain, steadfast, faithful, fearless, selfless, omnipotent, but mostly, and I say mostly, faithful because of what that means for us. How we have come to know him will determine how we live for him. How we respond to him will be determined by who we believe him to be. Another scenario is with Mary, where the angel comes and she, you know, he says to her, you are going to have um, a child. And um, it's interesting because she says, in what manner has this word come? In what way has this word come? Anyway, she's in a bit of like, oh, really? Like, because he calls her favored. And it goes on to say that her response is, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. See, the thing about Mary is that she, regardless of what this would mean for her life, in, have, in giving birth to a son that uh, she, you know, Joseph hadn't conceived, right? That the spirit put it in. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, like, oh, uh, you're engaged and you're pregnant, like what happened? Oh, no, the spirit, you know, put a baby in my, in my womb. It's like, really? You know, the consequences of the word, the aftermath of the word for her life could have been stoning and death. But she says, be to me according to your word. So whatever your word might bring, I'm willing to go through the experience, the consequences of that word, that it will become fruitful and it will prove that you are who you say you are and what you say is true. And the fruit of her womb is Christ. Stunning. Mary was certain, submitted, and confident. She had received and responded to truth, and the fruit, and her fruit, the life of truth, was Christ Himself. Hearing him revealed the word will endure and it will stand the tests. It will outlast the trial. It will outlive the hardship. It will praise in all circumstances because the word endures forever. Through the test, the experiences of the word received and the truth revealed by his faithfulness, our faith in him is established. Now, I am not saying that experience is superior over the word. No. What I am saying is that experience and test will follow the word. It has to. Because if the word is to become a reality, if truth is to become life, it has to be tested. And it has to go through a physical experience for it to be a reality. Right? What I'm saying is the word without being tested through experience is not yet our conviction. There is a big difference between living with 
what you believe because of what you read and living in response to the Lord because of what you received, it's been tested and now it's conviction of steel. Okay? It, it's a whole different ball game. To receive a divine reality through an earthly vessel, it can only be accomplished or expressed through the physical experiences. Otherwise, it's not a reality. If we have received a divine reality, we will receive the divine results. Okay, and we can see this through the word of people that received him as he revealed himself. For our sake, he reveals and proves himself through the process. Right, that's for our sake. That's for our sake that we would come to know that he is faithful, that we would come to know that his word is tested through our lives, through circumstances, will stand and it will endure and it will outlive circumstances. It will outdo situations. Love conquers all. The word, and and please hear me on this, the word through the test or the experience will prove the word not define the word. It will prove the word depending on what came first. Because if, and I don't want to confuse people, if we hear the word, we are tested, experienced, the word is proved genuine, it becomes a reality. If we didn't hear and we go through an experience, we allow the experience to define who he is. And the experience now defines the word. Can we hear what I'm saying? Experience is not superior over the word, but experience will follow the word. It has to if it needs to become a reality. Otherwise, it's just words, right? The way will lead us to truth, and the truth will bring life of the truth. Okay? His way, his truth, our way, our truth. We can find our way, know our truth, and have our life. This is a life that is void of the word received and lives in reaction to experience and where the experience now defines God. Okay, and I have a lovely personal testimony on this. Um, and it's about unbelief and, in the, and how unbelief in the heart that is expressed shows an unfaithful life. Now, I don't mean unfaithful like if you're married and you're now cheating on your husband. I mean, it, the fruit of that can happen, but I'm talking about an unfaithful heart that is saying one thing but against the person. Um, and what unbelief does in the heart, it is shaky. These are the signs. It is tossed to and fro, Okay, Um, it is without power, it is uncertain, it's skeptical, it cannot take risks, it's blind, and it's anxious. Okay, it's an anxious state when we're in unbelief. When I met Kirk, I met him about nine years ago, um, and I had left home. I left South Africa when I was 18, 
and I had traveled to eight different places by that point. I'd worked in two countries and lived by myself. I was independent and was in a very secure position in life when I got to New Zealand. And um, from working hard, I had savings, I had traveling experience, and I had successfully lived outside of home just. <laughs> I couldn't wait to be back to mum and dad's house, actually. But um, I had the work experience in different countries, and in this time, God revealed himself to me, and I was on a journey of faith. So I was quite young Christian. I just sort of come to know uh, of the Lord, and I was sort of stepping out slowly but surely with him. But I guess what I'm saying is when I met Kirk, you know, he was only 18. Um, he was a spring chicken, he still is, really. <laughs> he was barely 18 out of school um, when I met him. He was still living with mum and dad um, and hadn't really been anywhere other than Australia, which is next door. Um, so <laughs> it, was a, it was a divine appointment how we met, and it was unusual for me to be sort of attracted to, to Kirk. He wasn't sort of someone I'd dated before, in a sense. Maybe it's because he was a boy and not a man at that point. But um, no, but he is now. Sorry, I'm not doing this really well. <laughs> He's a man now, I promise, yeah. Um, anyway. um, long story short, <laughs> we, um, oh, uh, sorry, what I wanted to say was, you know, at that point, like, we fell madly in love. But I had this underlying issue with his age, okay? Um, because, sorry, I was three years older. I am three years older than him, so, yeah. Um, but what I loved about him in those early days and still is his confidence and his adventure for life. You know, and, and when he met me, <laughs> you know, like he's younger and I'm sort of like on my high horse because of where I've just come from. And, you know, and he was so confident. He was like, girl, I will show you the world. And I'm like, you've been to Australia. Like, <laughs> you know, like, really? And, um, you know, he's going to take me places. And, and uh, yeah, part of his character, though, was that he's always been reliable. And anyone who knows Kirk knows this, is he is reliable and he, you know, his confidence, I mean, it can come across as, sometimes I'm sure, like, arrogant, but it's not. It's a confidence and a steadfast, because the thing about him is that he's credible, right? He's believable, because he does what he says, okay? And this is the very quality of him that I found really intriguing, um, and it was less than a year later that Kirk proposed. And now, even though we talked about our future and, you know, we were all excited and we'd talk about children's names one day and, and all the rest of it. Um, but when it came to D-Day, when the talk became action and the idea of getting married became a proposal, <clears throat> the test of the qualities that I said I loved about him had come into question. I said I loved him, that I trusted him and made plans with him, then why wouldn't I marry him, right, for a lifetime? This is what I said. This is stuff we talked about. And when it came to D-Day, I was in question. And um, found myself in a place where I wasn't certain and I didn't have conviction about it. And I was weak in unbelief and I was unable to really 
function in some ways. And I'll just describe. I, I found myself figuring out what had happened. Like, how did I become so afraid? How did I become this way, like insecure and questioning things? And what am I fearing? And how, you know, how did this happen? Because before he came along, I was confident, right? I was secure. I had been places. I'd done things. Now I met him, and now I'm feeling like this. It's his fault, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it was. It was his fault. He was making me feel this way, you know? And, you know, I'm supposed to be happily engaged, but now it's like the aim is on him. The target is on him because of how I'm feeling is reflective of him, who I believe him to be is now how I'm reacting to him. So what had happened was I, my heart start, started to harden. I watched him, and I started becoming cynical, skeptical about what he did, why he did it, how he did it. I wanted to find a reason to prove why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Because then I could bail out, and it was his fault, right? If he did something, if I, if I watched him carefully enough and he would mess up, then it proves that I'm feeling right and I'm justified for the way I'm feeling. And I had a good reason not to trust him. He was young, too immature to get married. I mean, what is he thinking? He hadn't even traveled. I was waiting for him to prove me right in my unbelief, and I was waiting for him to break my trust. My prosperity listen to this, my past relationships had proved the same things, so my fear was not irrational. It was justified. My past relationships, the experiences of it, defined it. The conclusion of relationships in my mind, the truth of relationships in my mind is from the experiences I went through. And it's so incredible because there was never the word before those experiences. I never, I didn't have the Lord in my life. I hadn't received from him. You would think a ring on my finger would prove his commitments, right? But it just shows that a symbol is just a symbol if the work hasn't been done in the hearts. It means nothing. And that's why he wants us to be people with a heart of conviction because we have come to know him through experience, through his faithfulness. We, we trust him and we love him. Poor, poor Kirk. Really, poor Kirk. <laughs> One day I was catching up with a soul sister and I was sharing with her my biggest fears about Kirk. She called an intervention for us. <clears throat> and I was like, game on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him how it is, right? Her and her husband and me and Kirk, and I started rattling off why I was right, how I was feeling. The things he had done that proved me right. Now, my husband today, sat there and didn't say a word. And every accusation I was throwing at him, um, Everything I was putting against him was a reflection of where I was at. And through the experience of Kirk making the word, the ideas, the, the talk, bringing it into action was now confronting me and revealing the unbelief in my heart, revealing how I actually saw him because of the experiences I went through, 
told me that was my truth and I had held it up against him. By the end of the night, my soul sister looked at me and I'll never forget these words. Brutally honest, she said to me, I am more concerned that you would be unfaithful to Kirk than what he would ever be to you. I was like, really? Like, no, this intervention was meant to be about me proving who Kirk is. And there it was. And she was absolutely right. I was shaky. I was having anxiety attacks while we were engaged. I was uncertain. My heart had hardened. I was skeptical, cynical. I was, I was the definition of unbelief because I allowed the experiences of my life to define everything that was coming. It defined Kirk. It defined engagement. It defined marriage. And it wasn't right. But I blamed him and I accused him as if it was him, but it wasn't, it was me. It's just that through the proposal, through him doing what he says he'll do, confronted my unbelief and confronted actually my, uh, my lack of integrity to say one thing and then crunch time and I'm not actually sure, you know, but I was a mess that night, obviously, um, and Kirk's faithfulness had revealed my unfaithfulness without saying a word. He acted on what he said. He took our ideas and made it a proposal into a future life together. He took our future and made it a present reality. And I was all yes to the idea and the dreams until it was in my face, knocking on my door. His confidence scared me. That's the truth. His confidence scared me. I was like, what makes you so sure? And I didn't like it because I wasn't sure. And it was revealing things in me that made him more sure, you know? It's annoying. <laughs> His certainty made me so uncomfortable. Well, what the worst was that it felt for me was that now I had accepted it was my state of unbelief, my unfaithful commitment to the words we shared, the potential promises we made uh, that would put me in a position where now maybe he wouldn't want to marry me anymore, okay? Why would he? Why would you marry anyone who was sort of half convinced half sure, not, you know, uncertain, and let alone accusing you of being something, you know? Why would you? I wouldn't. If I was honest and admitted to my state, and this is the thing, I could have carried on and be like, no, it's him, it's him, it's him. But getting to a point where someone had to say to me, you're actually the unfaithful one, and if there's any concern, it's you. Okay, so finding myself there, it's like either I admit it and go through the humbling process of approaching him and being honest with him and being okay with whether he says, actually, maybe we shouldn't get married or, you know, let's do it anyway. Um, But, uh, yeah, I could have gone on for years blaming him. It was him and that's why we, you know, didn't get married or whatever. Um, I was broken and insecure and faithful in heart, 
which, you know, could bear the fruit of unfaithfulness. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I decided to have an honest heart-to-heart with Kirk, and it was probably going to end in one way, and fair enough. Um, I shared with him everything. I repented and asked forgiveness, and I acknowledged my state and suggested that maybe we need to take more time before getting married, for his sake, right? And Kirk looked at me, and with not even an ounce of hesitation or fear, Okay, now listen, he's just had a night where the girl he's asked to marry him, because he's certain, has thrown arrows of accusations at his character, at the very person he is, in front of his friends, who are, you know, more than friends, but, you know, to look at me and go, Melissa, I love you, and we are getting married. It was so sexy, honestly. I was like, <laughs> really? Like, you know, it was like telling me this boy was a man, right? It was just, it was like, and you know what it is? Listen, you know what it is? When Moses is having his moment and he's like, Lord, Lord, like, I can't really speak and I'm slow of this and da da da. And he's like, Moses, I am who I am. It's like, ooh, you know, like, hmm. And that was it. Kirk was like, that's it. I love you, and we're getting married, and we'll work this out, but we're getting married, and that's it, Melissa, full name. (laughs) You know, but this is what the Lord does. He is confident, he is steadfast, he is faithful. He, He acts on his word, he does what he says. So when he speaks, you know he means what he says. And it will cut through that unbelief and it will strengthen our weakest parts. When we are looking at our shortcomings, he is not looking at that. Do you know what? I think the, the, the thing, the hot displeasure of the Lord is not in our shortcomings. It's in our unbelief. And we can read that in Hebrews 4. It is because when we don't know him for who he actually is and then we question him on what he's going to do, it is in opposition to who he is, and that is a hot displeasure. Not our faults, not the things we can't do or stand up for or our weak points. It's not about that. He's saying, trust me. And it will be revealed whether we trust him or not through the experiences of the word becoming flesh. There he was standing. When it came to crunch time, he meant what he had said in the early days. He was overseeing my mess and still offering a covenantal covering. There he was, a young man, yet mature with a strong heart and a conviction of steel. Through my indecisiveness, making a decision on our behalf and supplying the provision of love and grace needed to live together for a lifetime, he was proving himself genuine proving his faithfulness, being faithful even when I was not. This produced confidence in our relationship and the start of a beautiful, beautiful marriage. I want us to think about the things we say to the Lord or about the Lord, the promises, the vows we make, To prove himself genuine, he will test. He will allow experiences, but 
The word will define the experiences. The word received. Right? And it's only because he's faithful and wants to prove himself faithful. And it's through these experiences where he's proved himself faithful that our faith is established. That when our kids come to us one day as we've gone through life, you know, near the end of our days maybe, we will speak with testimony through comprehension of his love because it's been experience after experience of experience of his word being tested proved genuine. And we've come to know him in the deepest way, in the most inner parts of our being. Faith tested will reveal the faithful or the unfaithful, the conviction or the unbelief. When faith is fulfilled, when the prophetic word becomes a fulfillment, then we count it faithful. That is a characteristic, not an event, but the essence of his being made manifest that we can all our days count on. Either way, how we are found in whatever state, there is hope. Hope to be restored, hope to be reconciled, hope to believe. He is talking about you when he says he wants to be one and share his glory with his bride who will sit with him on his throne. Remember, we are betrothed to him. Just as Kirk and I were engaged, we are now going through the process where our word is being put on stand. Not his, because he is faithful and he will endure and his word will be fulfilled. But it's, we will respond to him by who we believe him to be. And if it's truth... We will have the life and we will have the process. Um, I'm going to end there. I hope I've made it very clear um, that how we receive him will determine how we respond to him. How we receive the gospel of John 3.16, that he laid his life down, that we would come into his life. If those are just words, we are just going to live by words. If we have received it with full conviction in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Lord, we will respond and we will live in the life of that. But not to be afraid of tests. I don't want us to be afraid of tests or experiences because it actually proves the word genuine. And it can actually result in us knowing him more, loving him more. But if, if we are allowing experiences to, to define who he, who he is and make it our truth of who he is, then we're going to find that we're in the shallow life of the shallow intake of the word, which is unbelief. Cool, so I'm just going to end there and I'm just going to pray thank you for your time thank you for listening thank you Lord um, you are wonderful and I am eternally grateful uh, for your faithfulness for your goodness your steadfast um, nature uh, your even your trust to um, give your life for us, Lord, that we can come to know you in a deep and wonderful way. 
And I thank you, Lord, that you are not afraid of our shortcomings. You are not fearful um, of who we are, but, Lord, you engage with us. And um, I thank you that you are pleased by faith. You are pleased by those who believe you for who you actually are, who will endure the tests and the refining, the experiences of your word being proved genuine. I pray, I pray today that we would receive you and know, know that you are faithful, that your word and your love endures forever, and that we are never too far from you. I pray with whatever state we're in this morning, uh, if we are in unbelief, if we are anxious, if we are um, lacking, if we are feeling weak, Lord, I pray for us this morning that we would know that you will strengthen, you will provide, and you will supply every need uh, that we have. And your faithfulness will build us up and put confidence in us if we will choose to see you for who you are, recognize you, that we would turn our attention on you, keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you for your life. I thank you for your truth. And I thank you for your way. In Jesus' name, amen.